It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Sunday, June 6th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 411 featuring the Athletics' Jared Weiss is powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today and use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% sign-up bonus. What's up, everybody? Welcome on into another new and slightly delayed edition of Celtics Beat. It is awesome to have everybody here with us. We apologize. Normally, we would have come out a few days ago. In fact, under normal circumstances with everything that is going on surrounding the Boston Celtics since our last show, which, uh, you know, at, at that point in time, the Celtics were still playing, would have done some sort of emergency. Hey, guess what? A lot's happening but uh, to be perfectly frank, I, I lost my voice. I was done. I was out. And I could have just, you know, entrusted Evan to do it. And I'm sure he would have loved that. But I, I wanted to be part of it. I wanted, to, I wanted to be part of the mission to inform all the people of what is happening in Celtics land. And uh, still kind of not unlike how the Celtics played down the stretch and throughout much of the season, I, I still sound a little uninspired and, and, and generally crappy. But we're all just, we're, we're going to have to live with it. Evan Valenti is here. I'm Adam Kaufman. Of course, our featured guest. Jared Weiss. And, uh, you know, the, this occasionally I have the, the, the crap eating grin on my face guys, because I, I'm going to say something incredibly witty. Here's today's witty little idiom or, or whatever it may be. Uh, this is episode 411. We get to give people the 411 on what is happening. Yikes. These Celtics. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It, really bad. This can, is, can I, guys, can I leave now? Yeah. Good job. Yeah, at least guess. Turn off the video anyway. I'm, I'm just, I'm intimidated by the hair everywhere that is happening uh on this video for people that are watching versus listening it's astounding everybody out there what is happening with this organization arguably the most interesting off season uh since you know i don't even know it's been 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 many years so no one no one needs an update but just the the cursory update danny ainge Thank you. We will celebrate you a little bit later on. No longer the president of basketball operations for this team. He has, uh, as the team announced, chosen to retire, though he hasn't closed the door on working, uh, be it in the NBA or for another team or anything down the road. He says not in the same capacity. Would he consult? People want to speculate on the Jazz, the Blazers. Who knows? We'll see. We'll find out. And again, we'll talk about Danny later. And And honestly, guys, we have been on this on this show for for quite a while the just the 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 greater the bigger question will Danny Ainge be back with the team next year this never seemed like a foregone conclusion that Danny was going to be back for next season I I feel like we we've been heading this way but what absolutely blew my mind and that of many I I assume Brad Stevens being elevated to that job and this team new now needing a, a a new head coach i have plenty of thoughts evan does as well but jared please i mean what just your initial takeaways but not even just initial where you are at now days later with this whole thing i think the shock has worn off at this point it took a couple days for sure it was hard to process it was hard to process more stevens leaving the head coaching job than him getting the uh, Povo job. I, I feel like people fixated on why is he qualified to have that job? I don't think it's that hard to figure that out. I mean, we knew that he was pretty involved with their decision-making process. We know his personality pretty well. We know his eye for talent and his talent development pretty well. We obviously know that he has a huge network of resources and sources within the college world to get good scouting on these guys. So that 
I think that immediately clicked for me as, yeah, I guess I could see why they did that. Uh, I think I was only surprised because Masai Ujiri was probably out there available. He's the most sought after GM in the game. I'm sure they probably figured out whether or not they could get him before they made the call on Brad. So for me, it was just more of a shock of, I just, I never considered Brad uh, leaving coaching as a possibility because he's just one of those people that's so synonymous with coaching. And it's probably because we've only known him as a coach. So when you've only known someone as a coach their entire career, you just only think of them as a coach, especially because he's someone who has really been big on coaching mentorship, participating in like programs to train other coaches, things of the nature. It's very involved with the coaching community and that really stands out. And so you just kind of, it's, it's a huge uh, break from his supposed public identity, which I thought was really interesting that he made it pretty clear that it's not at the core of his identity, that basketball is really what's at the core of his identity. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. Brad Stevens getting elevated is, and I'm sure we'll get more into this interesting, but the one thing that we can say is Brad, I think still breathes, eats, sleeps basketball as much as it might be in a different role. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's still like a guy that, and, and maybe just because he's under contract, it's still this way. But it's still a guy that you know knows more than will forget more about basketball than I will ever know about basketball. So you know, as, as again, we get dive into this whole thing, we have at least to acknowledge the fact that this is still a, a very like bright mind in putting him in charge of stuff where he knows the players already on the team. He knows what players he likes is a positive. If you're looking for a couple of positives, that's one of them, Jared. I think I agree with all that being said. And I'll quickly say that I think that having coaching experience is an advantage for a GM because a lot of GMs, they come into the, they come into it because they advance through uh, business operations, scouting operations and things like that, where they're detached from the operation of the team. So they're not as familiar with how to manage the personnel of the team, the personalities and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and they maybe they don't have as much X and O expertise as a coach. I wouldn't. I would expect that's probably the case, right? Uh, so, Brad coming from this background, assuming that he has the uh, intestinal fortitude to make those incredibly tough decisions, which is like mm-hmm. something that really defined Ainge's career is his ability to know when to walk away from a tough decision and when to go all in on a tough decision. And obviously, everybody will debate whether he made the right calls till the end of time. But mm-hmm. that I think that is probably the big part with Stevens and also just knowing how to handle negotiations and stuff like that, which obviously is just like a common or a complete game theory, you know, simulation every single time. So those are the parts where we'll see if Brad can pull it off. But I think Brad's advantage knowing the personnel so well from a strategy perspective and just understanding how the coach will utilize the players that he gives them so much, I think is probably, it probably gives him an advantage over a lot of other candidates. You outlined a lot of Brad's strengths already. I don't need to do it. I don't need to repeat you. I agree. I think there there are a lot of reasons out there for people to say, you know what? Brad Stevens could do a really good job in this spot. Uh, I think also the the lack of experience, while it, again, surprised me, it's not that it's, oh, my God, he's remarkably unqualified. Like, I mean, Danny Ainge never held the job until he held the job the job either. Like, and, and most people, I know people obsess over the one title in 18 years, and to some degree, rightfully so. It's pretty but, good. <laughs> yeah, but... but no, no, you know, I just like, said that. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a generally very successful, you know, nearly two-decade run running the Celtics for a guy, uh, you know, for anyone, let alone a guy that also had never done it until he did it. And you can go, you know, the, it, it, not every situation where you find successful executive X came up through the ranks of, of you know, being in front offices, starting off in the video room or being a scout and, and assistant GM to GM or, or was, you know, uh, whatever was, was an agent. Like there are all sorts of different paths you can take to get there. You know, this, this is one, obviously the Brad has taken, but there are a lot of things when this was announced and, you know, reports started to come out and um, the press conference, obviously that took place shortly thereafter. There are just a lot of things that crossed my mind and I'm, and I'm going to kind of throw it all at you at once or a bunch of it at you once and tackle what you want to tackle. And you've probably thought about a lot of this too. You know, you had Jeff Goodman, uh, part of the CLNS team come out and say, I think he's in the job for a year and he's back to coaching. Before I heard Jeff say that I had tweeted out, 
you know, I just feel like we haven't seen the last of, you know, never mind like Brad going to go like people want to, to, to jump on the Duke thing. That's not going to happen, but people want to jump on the Duke thing, or is he going to go back to college? Will there be another NBA job? Like I, I I'm not even certain that we've seen the last of Brad coaching the Celtics, quite frankly, you know, so that's, that's one thing that my head went to. And that doesn't mean because he would fail in that, you know, popo job as you called it and and then get you know reassigned again or something like that it's just you know maybe he does miss it so that that brought me back to why is this happening specifically and and there were the reports from you know there were reports all over the place we don't need to attribute everything but there were the the reports of you know was brad burnt out from the bubble and from you know just the last couple of years in general and all that has happened in the league and and not seeing his family enough and and he just he 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 just didn't want to coach for a little bit and and this was a way that the team could kind of again reassign him for for lack of a better term while also simultaneously believing he would be good in that role maybe that is a possibility i just sort of feel like they're you know kind of in the in the two sides to a coin jared the the team feels one of two ways about this either it believes that, you know, like either Brad said, I don't want to coach right now. I'm, I'm a little burnt out. This is a cool new opportunity. I'm excited about it. Let's do it. Let's see where the future takes us. I'm all in. Obviously I'm, I'm not, I'm not half pregnant here. I'm all in. Let's go. That's one side or the flip side of that coin is Wick and company don't actually believe that Brad is as great a head coach as they've always said, and as many of us have always said and always felt, because to me, and this, this one man's perspective, I think it's maybe a little bit, not easier, e- that's why I keep hesitating, easy, not the right word, but maybe a little bit less of a challenge to build a front office surrounded by great minds. Maybe Mike Zarin's right there at the top. Maybe you can get Sam Presti from Oklahoma City. Maybe you can do whatever it is. You can put all the, the right minds in place versus finding someone that you believe is an elite, still young head coach. I don't know. Which way do you lean? Um, well, for one, I would I would forget about Sam Presti at this point. Presti is as good as it gets. He's not going to go anywhere where he's not the president of the team. So I would I would rule that out. And I don't, I don't think they need to bring anyone else in under Stevens. I think Zarin's the guy for the job. And so they should just keep the structure as is, assuming Zarin wants to stick around after uh, his, you know, successorship to the top spot has now been clearly clogged up uh, and presumably no, long term. But, that, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like yeah. that, that grouping or that person, Presti, Zarin, whomever, versus moving Brad. So I, I guess I, to answer your whole thing about the coaching stuff, I, I think it's, Brad was probably burned out like a lot of other coaches who had to go deep into the bubble were. I don't think Brad is it was going to walk away from coaching. I think it was that Brad had an opportunity to get out of coaching, to get promoted. So I think people forget this is a promotion. This is you're running the entire organization. Uh, and I think most coaches would prefer to have that role. You know, I'm not sure exactly what that split would be, but I think most would generally prefer that they could take that step back and be able to have a little bit more normal of a lifestyle and have more control over their own destiny. I mean, GMs generally tend to have more control and less the blame for mm-hmm. the team's struggles than the coach does. So I, I'm sure Stevens, like I'm sure Stevens is aware that there's 5,000 people tweeting fire Brad every single day. And I'm not sure how many less there are that are tweeting fire range, but it seems like Brad is the one getting more of the brunt of it. And while he, while I think he can compartmentalize a discount that all he wants, I think it does at least allow him to recognize what the public perception is and therefore to a degree what the pressure is on his job. And this is a great way to just give himself even more security and just more control. So I, I just think that's probably why he did it. I don't think it was necessarily a situation of he had to get out of there. So they wanted to do this as the only way to keep him. Now I've heard a lot of unsubstantiated stuff about him wanting out of there or not wanting to coach the team anymore, that kind of stuff. And I just, I've never, I've never heard enough to really feel like it's legitimate. So it's possible that it's true, but I just, I don't think it's true. Behind closed doors is Mike Zarin fuming right now. I mean, to many of us, he seemed like the, the heir apparent to Danny Ainge, like if Ainge ever up and walked away or, you know, somehow lost his job, not that any of us envisioned that it, when, when he decided it was time, Mike Zarin, 
the the you know the 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 hometown kid rooting for the team and obviously you know rising through the ranks so well respected across the league assistant gm and and you know known for his a- analytical thinking and and the wheel and the salary cap the knowledge and everything that that is the all-encompassing package that is mike zarin for him to in a way potentially be passed over twice and i say that because he's not the president of basketball operations and there are reports that the team is out looking for a general manager to work under brad who would still technically be above Mike, who is the assistant GM. Um, so I saw someone report that there was interest in Landry Fields as a potential GM. I haven't seen anything else besides that. Is there something that I've missed or is it just that one off? No, report? I think that's the one, but even just okay. the fact that that, and I'm, I'm not, maybe it's true. Maybe it's false. I just mean the fact that that's even out there and, and to the larger point, not being the president of basketball operations, where's this leaving Mike Zarin feeling right now? Because I, I would think in all likelihood, especially someone like Landry Fields, who is an incredibly experienced, I mean, I'm sure he's really good. He was a very smart player. I would imagine it's more likely that Zarin could be getting promoted to GM. And if Austin Ainge decides to leave, they could have an opening for the assistant GM. And that's where they could be looking at somebody like Landry Fields. So um, I don't, I'm just speculating. I don't know yet. I'm sure we'll start to figure things out in the coming weeks or so, or even the coming days. We'll see how fast this stuff moves. But if I'm Zarin, I'm definitely upset because he's, I think, done everything you could to try to earn that promotion to the top of the front office at this point. Um, a couple people have speculated to me that one reason why he would be better suited for a GM under a director of basketball operations role is that he, um, the interpersonal per, uh, player management stuff isn't his forte so much. And that, like, that's a huge part of the GGM's job, and that's a huge part of what Danny Ainge was doing, and that's a huge part of why Brad is such a good fit for that role. So it might just make more sense for Zarin to serve as – he should – at the very least, the guy deserves to have the assistant tag taken off his title and make him GM underneath the director of basketball operations, at the very least. Uh, but so it might just make the most sense for their structure – for him and Brad to basically be working hand in hand where he's the one focusing on executing a lot of the GME stuff while Brad is the one in charge of setting the agenda and managing the franchise as a whole. So maybe Zarin is totally down with that and he's fine with not have, not being the absolute person in charge at the top of the org chart, because I'm sure everyone listening knows has heard the stories about how he's probably the biggest Celtics fan in all of existence. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I, I think because he, like he, teams have tried to go after him for the GM spot. I mean, Detroit went after him a couple of years ago, or was it a year ago? Uh, Philadelphia, when they were hiring Elton Brand, they were wanting to go for him, and he stuck around. So I assume he stuck around under the auspice that he was going to be taking Age's seat sometime in the near future. And so then the question just becomes like, what is? Would he rather be somewhere where he loves being and he cares about it more than anything? And he has pretty much full autonomy, but he isn't the absolute decision maker, or does he want to be the absolute decision maker? Yeah. And the one thing you got to consider, and I, and I think you kind of alluded to this, Jared, is, you know, first off, I think Zarin will get an opportunity to, to at least interview and, and, and have his name in the ring for that job. But the one thing that you have to consider here, and I haven't thought about this that much because I think maybe A, I'm still in shock over the entire ordeal, and B, like there's still basketball going on, so it's hard to even consider this sometimes. But like they have to start making moves like kind of quickly here. They don't really have a ton of time because you know the NBA drafts in what a month ish, month and a half from today. Um, Summer league starts you know shortly after that. You know you don't have a lot of time to sit around and dilly dally. You gotta go find a coach um, who you know you align with, who so that person can be in play to to help pick the next players on his roster, so to speak, or her roster. Um, you know depending if they go the Becky Hammond or Kara Lawson route. Um, you're going to have to get a GM in there. And again, Zarin might be the easiest way to do it because the philosophy might be somewhat similar. But again, you have big decisions coming up very shortly. You have to kind of start figuring out what your roster is going to look like very shortly because, you know, with the drafts, summer league, a little bit of time off and training camp, you know, it feels like it's far away, but it's, it's really not. And, you know, the, even though there's basketball still going on and it's usually a time of year where Boston's still in the mix, you know, it might be advantageous for them to get a head start on some of this stuff. You know, you see, you know, Portland, let's go with Terry Stotts, you know, very quickly they're in the mix for Jason Kidd, who is now out of this. 
uh, and Chauncey Billups, you know, some candidates that Boston's looking at too. So, you know, they don't, they don't have the ability to sit around and wait. They kind of have to get going on these decisions because you would like to have a clearer picture of what's, of what your plan is, you know, before the draft hits, Jared, am I wrong on that? To your point though, yeah, well, real quick before Jared goes, they couldn't yeah. have made this announcement any faster. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they, they wasted no time on, on putting all of this in motion right down to like, it's, a, it's just amazing. And, and again, to celebrate them for all things, Brad, because you know, his wife, Tracy being his agent, keeping things quiet and no leaks within the organization. The fact that, I mean, this went from, you know, the, the little woge bomb, the, the morning after, obviously the elimination against the Nets, which feels like a lifetime ago to this being official with quotes from the organization, press releases and everything before noon. Like this, I mean, they, they were prepared. It was just a matter of time. Yeah. I would expect that the reason they wanted to do that was that one, they wanted to turn the narrative off of how big of a failure that season was into some optimism of new GM. We're going to be looking for a coach, keep the story focused on that. Great move by the PR team on that one. Uh, and also that they wanted to start their coaching search right away. They wanted to make sure that the second their season was over before any other first round series were ending in the next 48 hours, because a bunch of them ended after that and coaches started dropping like flies after that. They wanted to make sure that they got out right away as the most desirable coaching job. And that was, I think that was the right move. And that doesn't mean they have to make a hire right away. I mean, their timeline on making a hire is mostly dependent on that Portland and Orlando, and maybe we'll see a couple other teams possibly uh, after that, that they have to beat them to the best candidate. And the question is, would, you know, how much are candidates willing to hold off those other teams in order to give themselves the best shot at the Celtics job? And do they even feel that way? I mean, if I would assume most coaches would rather take the Celtics team on than the Portland team because of the, uh, well, actually, Portland's been pretty stable, but mm-hmm. uh, the Celtics have two emerging stars while Portland stars are kind of at the end of their rope at this point. And it's kind of like, yeah, we got to make it work this year or they're out of here. So the Celtics job, I think, is still the most desirable job out there. Um, and then, you know, they as far as restructuring the front office stuff, they don't have to if they are look if they are going to fill that position, they don't have to do it right away because Ainge is still staying on to usher in the transition. Brad's going to be the one leading a lot of the stuff that Ainge was doing, probably going on the road for some of the stuff. But, like, I'm sure Ainge is still going to be a part of all their draft workouts. He's still going to be there managing the drafts and all that stuff. So they don't have – it's not like they're short on personnel. It's like they basically have just added in personnel, essentially, to the war room for them during the draft of free agency. So they can they can kick the can down the road another year on making that decision. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do that. So the coaching search, let's let's get into it a little bit. And there are so many other facets. Yeah, can we, before we move on, can we yeah. just at least acknowledge the fact this could be a, an absolute disaster for Boston? You know, Brad, you know, maybe maybe Jeff's right. It's a year and he's out um, sort of thing. Um, you know, this could end up being a really, um, you know, a, a, a move that doesn't put them anywhere, right? Like it's, they have – it's not like they don't have salaries, you know, salary cap problems themselves either. Like this whole, you know, Kemba Walker contract is, mm-hmm. is really tough to move. Um, you have the Jays, you know, pending if, if Jason makes an all NBA team, then their, their cap gets even tighter. Um, this could, and you're putting Brad in, you know, we'll see what they do with the, the GM spot. Again, if it's Aaron or somebody else, it has to be somebody with some serious experience because Brad's doing some stuff he's never done before. Um, this could be, a, you know, potentially, very bad and go very badly for Boston because they're in a really interesting spot in their timeline right now. They've, 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 they overachieved at the beginning of this. Now they have different expectations. And now the expectation is like, okay, the Celtics are supposed to be title contenders with the two guys that they have, you know, we'll see how the rest of the roster fills out, but they have two young stars. It's a great place to be, but also, you know, how the NBA works, things can change very quickly in Boston go from, you know, title contention to, you know, mid ground, you know, somewhat pretty quickly here. So I, I don't think we've put enough pressure on the fact that like, okay, Danny's gone, Brad's in great, but this could also be like a disaster. It could be a mess for Boston years down the road because of the inexperience here. Well, so I think the most interesting thing immediately, I mean, years down the road, who knows, like years down the road, like this, you know, from the Nets trade, this team should have won a title. Right. So it's, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is hard to predict. And there's an element of luck in the Celtics case, bad luck with, 
you know, Hayward with Irving with, you know, Isaiah Thomas to some degree, like the minimal degree with Isaiah, but the other things that have obviously happened along the way and, and been fortuitous, like the Tatum Fultz situation or Jalen Brown emerging into what he's become and, and so on and so forth. But related to that, and Jared, you can kind of hit on, on, on the, the larger point of, of what Evan said as well as what I'm saying, because they're connected. The, what I think is going to be the most interesting component of Brad being elevated to this role. And Danny hit on it a little bit when he was asked in, in one of his, you know, post announcement interviews, he said, and this didn't come as any surprise to anybody, you know, Brad was very involved in, in a lot of conversations, you know, had his say, didn't always agree with what we did, you know, so now this is, and he didn't say this in a rude way or anything, but he said, this is now Brad's opportunity to do it obviously his way to have that say what really interests me, especially coming directly from coaching these very players to now deciding upon their futures is we're going to find out what Brad really thinks of them, you know, not as people, you know, but, but as, you know, value to the team as assets, you know, we're going to, we're going to find out just how untradeable Jalen Brown is or Marcus Smart is, or, you know, how important Kemba Walker is or how, how desperately based on reports that, that emerge he is to, to move that contract and, and, and get rid of him at all costs and and give up a young player with him or an asset, or, you know, what's the Robert Williams contract situation going to be, or is Brad just really down on what his health has been in in the years that he's been in the NBA. We're going to find out how Brad truly views the roster that he has been coaching for so many years. And to me, that's fascinating. I, I think the, of all the people that were annoyed that Danny Ainge gave the Celtics a roster where all of its perimeter depth for all guys in their first or second year, I think Brad was probably the most frustrated out of all of them. And I think that's probably a clear example of what Danny is pointing to there. And I mean, hey, Danny at least got him Fournier and Jafari Parker, who I guess had his moments uh, later in the season. But Brad, Brad, so like, there's, a, there's what I call like the Brad Stevens system with rookies, which is that if you're a rookie, you don't get to play until you know the defensive system to the point that you're not making mistakes every possession. So that means that rookies don't get to play until like game 60 of the season. Hmm. And credit to Peyton Pritchard, he somehow managed to break the molds. But like Marcus and Tatum are the only rookies I could think of before Pritchard in Brad's entire tenure that were in the rotation their rookie year. Everyone else like literally barely even plays. Romeo Langford, it took him half a season to break through. Neesmith half a season to break through. And then Stevens was probably mostly playing those guys because they just kind of had to, frankly. And so I, I think that he's probably going to want to shore up the veteran depth of this team and not just scrape the bottom of the barrel with like Jeff Teague and Jabari Parker. And, you know, no offense to those guys, but like, you know, they're, 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 they, we know who they are at this point in their careers. You know, they're not, they're not the players they once were anymore. And so I think that's probably going to be his big target. I'm sure he was probably a little frustrated that they spent their entire MLE on a, center that isn't really much of an offensive player and so it was kind of a struggle to figure out how to utilize Thompson correctly this year and obviously they they what did they start like Thompson and Tice together for like 30 games I, I feel like Stevens just wants to make sure this team has tremendous versatility like it did over the last few seasons before this last one and I wouldn't be surprised if he sacrificed a little bit of that long-term development to be able to achieve that and so like if they could trade Kemba Walker and get a few decent role players in return, I think that would be a huge win for them because as good as Kemba Walker is when he's healthy, his health has been so erratic and his availability has been so erratic to the point that they don't really need his potent offense as much as they just need good depth at this point. And also, because I think if they want to keep Marcus Smart and move on from Kemba, that Smart's actually shown he's actually a lot more useful in a point guard role where I don't think he's turning it over and gunning it nearly as much. I think he takes on a different mentality. And so it might make sense with the way that Tatum and Brown are developing as playmakers to just have Marcus Smart as your point guard. Uh, But, you know, of course everyone talks about Kemba Walker, like he's like, he has a torn knee and he's done. He doesn't think he's, he's playing and he's not a hundred percent, maybe with a full off season and being a hundred percent getting into the season, he actually might start playing like he did in, uh, was it May, when he was averaging like 30 a night for a few weeks? You know, we, we could see him get back to that next year. And like, we, they love Kemba. He came in second place in the NBA in the Sportsmanship Award earlier this week. Like, he is absolutely beloved by everybody. 
And if he's given you even like 80% of what he can't give you, then he's obviously worth keeping around. Unless, of course, he's, you know, not playing every other game. Yeah, he needs to be playing every other game. You know, as you outline all that, and I'm really kind of just thinking about this for the first time, but, you know, you think back at that, like, that iconic scene in Moneyball and, and, and feeding into this point, baseball and basketball are very different. Also, this didn't even happen in real life. It was just a scene in the movie. But, you know, where Brad Pitt, you know, Billy Bean is just up and, like trading guys away from Art Howe because he says, you know, you're going to play my guys. Like you're, you're, you know, your guys are, are not, you're not doing, doing this your way. You're doing this my way. As Brad builds out this team and no question, they did not have the most versatile team in recent years. And that was a problem and probably to dis, you know, his dismay. And I can't imagine, you know, Danny loved it even though uh, either, even though he was obviously the architect of the roster as Brad does build this thing out he does have to some degree keep whomever his new coach is that vision in mind, you know, because there is what, whatever system they're playing, it's not going to be Brad's system. It's going to be this person's system. So that does sort of, I don't know. It, it, it has to factor in obviously to the situations he builds out that roster. And uh, I'll be curious to see how he balances that fact as well, because he, he, you know, it'd be easy for him to sit there and, in the big office and say, all right, what do I need? How would I do this? Now I've got final say, except, well, he's got final say, but he's not now running practices and games. I mean, I think Brad is probably going to take on a pretty similar ethos to what Ainge did and that he's going to empower his coach to be a part of that decision-making process. And I mean, any GM who doesn't have their coach, you know, coming to them and basically being like, here's what I want to do. So let's get players that fit into the mold that we want and let's get players that I like that I know will work with me. I mean, the, the GM's not doing their job. There are some adversarial uh, coach to GM situations like that throughout the league, but it seems like Brad is going to be able to choose who his coach is going to be for the most part. So that probably won't be that situation. Um, you know, and then like maybe there's a Scott Hatterberg out there for the Celtics where they trade mm-hmm. Marcus Smart for like a couple role players that aren't nearly as impactful as he is. And that balance just works. Obviously, they could certainly do, try to do that with Kemba Walker. So maybe that is what happens out there. And maybe Evan Fournier is that guy, and they just like need a full season of Fournier healthy for him to show that he's that guy. So you know, th- this team might not be that huge of a tweak away from once again playing like they were the year before, where their defense was super intense and on a string, and they knew what they were doing, and their offense had a little bit more flow to it and you know, didn't fall back into isolation the same way. You know, cause it's, it's not like this team got its roster gutted and that's why they were bad. They were bad because they were playing like crap. Yeah. And never on the same page real quick. I want to tell you about our sponsor, of course, bet online fastest, easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football, as we know is over. In fact, it's closer to starting up and congrats Titans. You got Julio Jones. I say as a dismayed Patriots fan, NBA, NHL playoffs, those are still going on. A lot of fun, lots, uh, lots to still bet on um, baseball wagers wise as well in the regular season. NBA title odds. This will surprise no one and disappoint many. The Nets are the favorites plus 140. The Jazz with the Lakers out plus 350 at number two. The Clippers with a game seven ahead of them at plus 675. Third best odds. The Bucks, who evidently can't even beat the Nets when James Harden's not playing, plus 700, and the Suns at plus 750. There are also game props for every single NBA playoff game. You can guess the margin of victory for any team you like. Make some serious money on that today as well. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, odds, best place, best way for you to place your bets. It is free to sign up. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, folks. Get in on the action, and don't forget to use that promo code to CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, the promo code CLNS50, Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so we've covered a lot. Still a lot to be covered. Are we all good with uh, with talking coaches? Or are there other things we want to get to first? No, I'm all good. Coaches all right. Good. I just want to acknowledge that Brad, this could be really bad. So we'll- no, and, and and look, it it shouldn't it shouldn't go unsaid. It should go, uh, you know, ultimately feared and 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 not hoped for, but definitely should not go unsaid. Um, as far as the coaches, so 
it's interesting. And everybody under the sun is rumored to be, you know, in, in some way or another linked to this job, right? I mean, and, and there are sort of, for me, and I'm trying to think of the best way to frame it, but there are three different categories of coaches. Um, and, and maybe you would identify Jared or Evan a, a different way, but I'm, I'm classifying it this way. There are three different categories of coaches, but some of the names that we've heard. There's, you know, a, a Chauncey Billups, Sam Cassell, Jason Kidd, Juwan Howard, you know, that kind of coach. There's the uh, Jay Laranega, Jerome Allen, Scott Morrison, Kenny Atkinson, um, Terry Stotts, Steve Clifford, uh, Jay Wright, who I don't think is going anywhere, that kind of coach. And then, of course, I think in another category, and not because they're less than or something stupid like that, they're just another category. Kara Lawson and Becky Hammond doesn't make them any less likely to get the job. They're just a different category because we've never seen a female head coach in the NBA. It hasn't happened before. Doesn't mean it won't happen. Certainly will happen at some point. Could happen now. Brian Scalabrini believes Carol Lawson will be that person for the Celtics, but it is a different category from those others. I don't know. And I'm curious what you think on this, Jared and Evan, for that matter. What are the ideal traits in your mind that Brad will be looking for in a head coach, but also that this team needs in a head coach. I have been long trumpeting, you know, going back to many conversations on this show throughout the season of surrounding Brad, not calling for Brad's job, just surrounding him with different voices on that bench and, and getting, you know, more of a, a Walter McCarty feel, you know, something that Evan Turner obviously kind of has not been for this team, maybe because he's so close in age to a lot of the guys that are still on that team. But, you know, the, like I, I have advocated not for kid for variety of reasons we can get into. And we will talk more about Jason Kidd as he's taken his name out of the possible consideration for the Blazers job, despite Damian Lillard on the record calling for his hiring, which I thought was fascinating in a whole bunch of ways. I've never seen that uh, before. Yeah, me either. I mean, that was amazing, but like I Chauncey Billups would be a great fit. Sam Cassell, I'm sure, even though he's not tops on my list, I'm sure would be a great fit. Juwan Howard, I think would be a great fit. Obviously, you know, a common thread here, former players, you know, in some cases, hall of fame caliber, who have been through the ringer, won championships, done it, just a, a level of respect that they command that other coaches don't from players who can look to them and say, you've been there, we haven't, we're trying to get there, help get us there, help take us. Is that a top priority as this team looks to its next head coach? I do think so. I think that's probably, they want to, I mean, here's the thing is, so generally, <clears throat> generally when teams make person or coaching changes, they want to zig and zag across the spectrum of different style. And so obviously after going with Stevens, you would probably want to go with a younger, actually Stevens is young. So maybe you want to go with like an 80 year old former player, I guess, in that, <laughs> in that case. No, they probably want to go for a What's younger Bill player. Russell up to? <clears throat> yeah. Bring him back. Bring him back on the He's, bench. I think he's at like a combine right now or something like that, actually. For <laughs> some, that's some sort of NBA thing. But so... I, I think that like someone like Jerome Allen is like the kind of coach they're going for as far as who's like on their bench um, in that he's someone who the players really love. And I think a huge part of his role has been just kind of like developing that bond with the players. I'm losing my voice as I'm trying to say this. What yeah, I've got is a week ago. How are we doing this today? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, you know, when you're talking about the different categories, I mean, I, I obviously, uh, because there's never been a female coach, uh, put in the top chair before, I do, I do understand obviously why Lawson and Hammond are, or Hammond are different, uh, category of coaches because of that element. But I think I would put them in the tier of moderately experienced assistant coaches who, who have been kind of rising in the interview pool ranks as potential head coaches. So I would put them in kind of the similar category of Sam Cassell. Chauncey Billups, uh, Darvin Hammond, uh, I can't remember if Charles Lee was a player, uh, who's also on the Milwaukee bench, Ime Udoka, a lot of those other candidates who have been like popular names that I think most people probably don't know as much. Uh, well, I'm sure people know Sam Cassell, Chauncey Billups pretty well. But, you know, Lawson and Hammond were stars in the WNBA, so they mm-hmm. do have that coaching experience. And I, I think the days of players not seeing 
WNBA playing experience as commensurate with NBA playing experience are, are pretty much gone. I think that, you know, like obviously we can, you, you can, you can talk all you want about the difference in the level of athleticism, athleticism and physicality, but the, the strategy is pretty similar and you have pretty good uh, personnel in the coaching ranks and GM ranks going between those two. So I, I think that what a, a WNBA, former WNBA player brings to the table as far as coaching knowledge and all that kind of stuff, I think is going to be pretty similar to what a former NBA player would bring to the table. So I really do look at them through that lens and that it's really, you know, the question of will they work while it, a lot of people will fixate on the uh, gender aspect of that. It's really just a matter of they're not experienced head coaches yet. Will people mm-hmm. listen to them and respect them? And that's the same question that we ask about college coaches that are trying to make the leap or assistants that don't have head coaching experience. So I don't really think it's that big of a difference really in how you look at them. Um, so I, I think the category is really former head coaches that we've at least seen what they can do. You know, Jason Kidd, Kenny Atkinson, um, Steve Clifford just came on the market. Terry Stotts just came on the market, obviously. Mm-hmm. So there, there are those guys. Uh, and I, I think, uh, you know, Kidd is obviously just a different one because we saw with Dame, like Dame wanted Jason Kidd, I think mostly because of who Jason Kidd is and how great of a player he was. And while I think Jason Kidd, ha- was, you know, he's proven that he's a disaster as far as fitting in with the organization and making people not hate him is not his strength. People really don't <laughs> like Jason Kidd for some reason. Uh, but he he has proven his player development chops, I think, pretty well. And Giannis I don't think that's what, too. yeah, I did a whole feature where I talked to them about him turning Giannis into a point center. Uh, and, and Giannis was like, you know, he was talking about Jason Kidd, like he was his, uh, like he was a Sherpa up the mountain, basically. I mean, he really adored him. It might have gotten south a little bit towards the end there. But so I think the reason people don't like Jason Kidd so much is like his history with, uh, domestic abuse and then, um, and then just like him screwing over Brooklyn, or I guess they were New Jersey, still so can't remember all that kind of stuff. I think okay, that's why people must hate on the sidelines. That's the greatest, one of the greatest things that ever happened. In NBA. Yeah, that's a- <laughs> not being over so we can get a timeout call. That's just one of the greatest things I've ever seen ever. Hey, that makes him one of the great coaches talk of all strategy. time. Yeah, that makes him one of the great coaches of all time for that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and the thing with, I don't know, I, the former NBA coach. Um, is always obviously very attractive because you know someone's better in the job. But I, I agree with Jared in a way. Like you have, you know, uh, Hammond and, and, and Lawson. I know we put them in a separate category, and I get that. But like these are two people that are very well, to be clear. Not to cut you off, but I feel like I should say this just because maybe because it's 2021, but also right. because through nobody's ranking tiers here. Right. Like nobody's saying like Hammond and Lawson are less than. You know, it's we're just classifying tiers right not, one is not better than another it's just different and it, Former, and would, you know, like nba assistant successful wnba player is a different tier than former nba player is a different tier or classification category whatever than you know longtime nba coach or retread coach who never played the game you know at, at, at a professional level these are all just different categories right and i think the thing that would actually helps because I think, ultimately, I think they're going to probably pick someone that has some familiarity with who's already on the roster. Like, as much as I would love the Sam Cassell idea, a lot of people speak very highly of him. Um, you know, I, I was a player. I, I love his confidence and swagger, obviously, with his time with Minnesota and KG. And then, obviously, as he comes over to Boston and, and that special role that they had with, with P.J. Brown and KG and, and, and Paul Pierce for Allen and everybody on that team. Um the, the Lawson and Hammond both have experience with some of the players. Obviously, Lawson, who uh, everybody raves about. Um, I could have heard Scal talk about Kara Lawson and her coaching resume for like 10 minutes. I know they were kind of, you know, obviously constricted by some time. But I wanted to hear more about how, how awesome Kara Lawson is at finding, you know, small things in people's games to tweak them and give them advice here and, and advice in this particular regard. Like, I, I – wanted to hear more about that she's obviously familiar with the roster she knows everybody here you know with the exception of the the, the guys that just got drafted um then meanwhile you know you know becky hammond's been on t- part of team usa and has been working with jalen and and jason and, and kemba and smart um a little bit and is familiar with them that's why a guy like jerome allen makes a lot of sense 
as well. Like guys that know the players in this team already know their strengths and their weaknesses. And that, that's just, uh, um, you know, leg up in, in one way, but then, you know, you look at the other, the other way and you say like the Gary Washburn, who has been, you know, on this podcast several times being like the Celtics need a new mindset, new fresh set of eyes to look at this team and say, here's where we need some, some work because I'm looking at this from a different perspective and can, and looking at it from, I'm from outside the Celtics organization that can say like, yeah, you need to do this more, this more and this more and how that can be valuable. Is there a particular place, Jared, you put more emphasis on one and then the other? Like, would you rather have a coach who's familiar with the players in the roster already or someone who has a fresh perspective um, and can add something maybe a little bit different to this Celtics team that they, that they have been missing over the years? I don't think uh, familiarity is as vital because this team is so young. So the guys that are ascending into those rotation roles are pretty early in their careers and they haven't really been fully molded yet. So I don't think that's so necessary, especially with Stevens being the GM. You already have their coach for the last seven, eight years in charge and the one teaching you the job. So I just, I don't really think that's as vital. I don't think it's necessarily vital to bring in somebody outside of the organization either. I mean, just look at what Nick Nurse accomplished taking over for Dwayne Casey in Toronto. And I think there's been a few other cases I can't think of off the top of my head, but there's been plenty of cases where the assistant was promoted for the head coaching job and they really thrive with it. I mean, look at what Nate McMillan just accomplished uh, replacing Lloyd Pierce, although he wasn't there long-term. He was just there for half a season. So, and I should say the Lloyd Pierce situation, that was basically where like the players are just tired of him. And so <laughs> the, the talent was always there. They just needed a new voice to listen to so that they could actually enjoy playing basketball again. And so maybe like someone like Jerome Allen or Jay Larinaga, they can step up in there. I, I think Allen has more of the authority and gravitas to be the head coach than Larinaga does. I think Larinaga is a little bit more passive and Stevens had a very passive management style. And so I think that probably Jerome, he just, Jerome seems to be a little bit more straightforward and that may be a trait that they're looking for in their coaching staff. Cause frankly, their coach needs to be able to hold players accountable, especially the top players accountable in a way that everyone that I talked to complained that Stevens wasn't doing. You know, the main things I was always hearing was that Stevens isn't holding his star players accountable enough and that the, and that the, the back of the rotation guys are always struggling with that. Their roles are so inconsistent and they, they really have trouble with that. And a lot of them get put under a lot of pressure. And so I think that new coach has to, and I, I do think part of that is that Brad has had such a young roster to work with in the deep rotation that it's been hard for him to trust guys enough to give them that consistency. So I think the coach is just going to have to be able to accomplish both of those things first and foremost. And I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Jerome would be pretty good at that. I'm pretty sure Caro would be pretty good at that based on everything I've seen of her so far. And I don't really, I haven't seen a ton of the other coaches on the staff interact with the players. So I don't really know how that would work for them, but you know, I, I think that's more important than just getting somebody in who's going to have completely fresh eyes. Cause you know, Jerome Allen could step into that job and just change everything in the way that they operate right away. I wouldn't be surprised if he did that. So Jason Kidd, just to go back to him for a second, has again, uh, for anyone who missed it, pulled himself from consideration for the Blazers job. Adrian Wojnarowski wrote about this earlier today. Kid said, Portland's a first-class organization, will have great candidates for, candidates for its head coaching job, but I've decided to not be one of them. Uh, Kid, as, and, and this, is, this is sort of the part, and I'm not questioning Woj, he's, you know, the godfather, he does what he does, obviously. But this, this paragraph lost me. Says Kidd was ultimately uncomfortable with the idea of pursuing the opening after Blazers star Damian Lillard publicly called for his hiring within hours of Stott's departure Friday night. The public nature of Lillard's endorsement telling Yahoo Sports that Jason Kidd is the guy I want, quote, uh, left Kidd feeling that uh, he'd be putting both Lillard and Portland's process in an awkward circumstance should he pursue the opening. That to me is like, you know, I'm walking away from Celtics beat and I turn to like Nick and John and everyone say, I want Evan to be the host of Celtics beat. And Evan says, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. I'm going to pull myself from the process. If he wanted the job, he'd go after the job. 
obviously, for whatever reason, he doesn't want the job. Is part of that reason that he is locked in on trying to get the Celtics job, or is he just contending where he is? I think if he wanted the Celtics job, then he would want to leverage the Portland opening to help him secure the Celtics job. So what I think it is, is that when Dame came out publicly with the athletic and I think Yahoo right after the season was over, that created a perception that kid was trying to use Dame to angle him into the job. And I'm sure somebody accused kid of that privately and kid realized he had it, or maybe kid actually was doing that. It just got caught basically. (laughs) And so I think that's why kid is doing it because Hey, kids already had a really bad rep with this kind of stuff already. And so I think he just didn't want to, I think he wanted to at least clear the air to make it clear that he was not trying to get Stotts run out of town and that he was not secretly working behind Stotts' back to steal his job from him. So all of that said then, and everything that has been talked about in terms of qualifications and whatnot, let's uh, just, let's for giggles here, early June, who do you think will be this head coach? And who do you want to be the head coach? Maybe those are one and the same. Maybe they aren't. Let's let's go around, the three of us. What do you think? I would guess Chauncey Billups. I, I, simple as that. I feel somewhat similarly. Um, you know, there's this – there's, and I didn't know about this because I think I was like 9 or 10 at the time, but there's been this resurfacing of Chauncey Billups' Chauncey Billups's rape case from – you know, back in the Antoine Walker years. Yeah, it was 97, that's, I think. Yeah, so it's it's a little – there's some history there, too, that's not so great. And, um, you know, look, uh, I'm sure if that were to happen, there'd be some questions about that, and, and, and some people have to answer some things. And I think that's, you know, probably for the, for, you know, for, the, for the betterment of everyone to get that out in the open and maybe talk about it and figure out, you know, what really was going on there. Um, everybody holds Chauncey Phillips very, you know, very highly. I mean, obviously he was a clutch player, point guard, um, was a huge part of a a team that, you know, defies all expectations and odds in terms of team building, um, and to win that, that championship that they did with the defense and toughness and role players that they had. Um, and everybody has, again, just glowing reviews about Chauncey Phillips. Um, you know, I, I think that that's a, obviously a great guess. I think Sam Cassell is a great guess. Um, you know, I, I think Sam Cassell would probably be the guy I would pick right now as, as a, you know, sitting here in June, but again, I can't, something I can't shake that the, the Kara Lawson thing makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't seen her really be a head coach yet because of the whole COVID thing and, and the way they shut down women's college basketball that year. Um, you know, but if it, it I, I'm just hoping that her and, and, and Hammond get a real shot because if they, they feel like legitimate candidates. And I would love to see what that looks like. I mean, Becky Hammond's been around the greatest mind in basketball, you know, since, I don't know, you want, to, you want to do Phil Jackson? Do you want to go back to an hour back? I mean, we can go as far back as you guys want. You know, learning directly under Greg Popovich is something that I think everybody values. I think Brad Stevens values his conversations with Greg. And, you know, maybe having that sort of voice is, is a really positive thing. Everybody has positive things to say about her. So I'm going to I'm gonna say, you know, maybe they go Becky Hammond just because – and they want to be a little bit different. I'll just, I'll be different myself. Do we not think Juwan Howard is either is he going to walk away from Michigan or ready to leave Michigan? Why did people ask that question? <laughs> Remember, what was, didn't we learn the lesson with Brad? Yeah, an NBA coaching job is so much better than a college coaching job, right. unless unless he cares about Michigan so much and he would never leave. No, Juwan Howard was like pretty clear he was taking that job so we could get an NBA job, right? Yeah, I mean, Patrick Ewing, too, not that he's part of this conversation, but just another guy that, like, that I'm going to college to get to the NBA. That's the goal. There's got to be something with Patrick Ewing with people not thinking that he's NBA head coaching material because the guy's a legend, was an assistant coach for so long. Like, he he had all the making. He had everything on his resume to become a NBA head coach. And so I'm I don't know any reason why he didn't get it, but like at that point, if he's not getting it, that tells me that there's some reason why. Well, I'm with you guys. And and while I also think that I, the Becky Hammond thing, I don't, I, I think there's a lot more likelihood to Carol Lawson than Becky Hammond. If, if I'm just talking between the two of them, I think Lawson's a real possibility. Absolutely. But I keep coming back to Chauncey too. And maybe it's, maybe part of it is, is just sort of, you know, 
like almost like willing it into existence and, and wanting to hear the questions about, man, I mean, you barely had time to set up shop here as a player. Rick trade you out of town so quickly. And now you're here running the thing, coaching the team. What's that like? I just, just wanting to hear that press conference, but uh, also we just for years, whether it's, you know, head coaching openings, GM openings, like he's just always in the conversation that, uh, you know, it's, it, it seems like a very logical fit, great opportunity to see if, if um, potential is realized, who the heck knows, you know, obviously with the first time head coach, but he's been making inroads toward that in, uh, in the last couple of years, I'd, I'd like to see it. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I think Chauncey Billups is walking through that door is that he's the guy that everyone around the league talks about as that person that just seems like the natural coach in the way that he conducted himself and his personality and that it was really seen. And I think the feedback he got from his last round of attempting to get into coaching or GMing was just that he needed to go get some experience, but that his personality and his traits and his skill set would be commensurate with a really strong candidate. So that's why I just, it really has seemed like he was going to get, uh, he was going to be a top candidate for whatever one of these jobs came up this summer because he finally got that experience under his belt. The Clippers were really, really good this year. I mean, look at how Reggie Jackson has transformed his career again under Chauncey. I mean, Chauncey has proven that he can be a part of a really effective coaching staff this year. Uh, and we will see if they lose in game seven if that all falls apart. But, uh, you know, kind of like Evan was saying, Chauncey's career embodies everything that the Celtics team is missing right now. The things that they, like he is, he is like the penicillin to this team right now. Well, he, he's like the everyman. you know, it took him, you know, four or five stops to, to finally find his fit, you know, so he starts off as a journeyman after being a high draft pick. He's a journeyman right out of the gate because Patino didn't want him around in you know, obviously bounces around a few times, ultimately lands in Detroit, becomes a star, wins a championship, becomes a hall of famer. Like, I mean, he's, he's just, he's, he's, he covers the gamut, you know, he, he does he's, like his career encapsulates all of it. It's like every player in the locker room could see themselves in Chauncey in some way or another. Yeah. And you know, a big thing is that when people, see how a player was in their playing days, they ascribe that to their coaching style, which is not necessarily true. I mean, a lot of the time guys are much different coaches than they were players because what kind of coach you are depends a lot more on your communication style and how you interact with people. So there's a lot of, like, we always talk about Jason Tatum's uh, personality and all the ridiculous calls for him to change how he acts. It's like Jason Tatum's an absolute assassin, but he if Jason Tatum tried to coach, it probably wouldn't work out very well because he's not that good of a communicator, right? So Chauncey, his whole career was defined by the way that he led and communicated with guys and held guys accountable in the way that he was like a second coach on the floor, essentially. So that's why I think those traits actually will translate so well to him being a coach. Yeah, what I, and what you like about him is I think Brad will be interested in at least, you know, you, you break down Brad's system – it's a system that values defense a lot. Um, and you're talking about taking a guy. And one of the things I like about Chauncey is the fact that he, you know, has bounced around a few times, has been around a lot of coaches, both as a player and as an assistant coach and other things in, in, in TV. He's been around a lot of people in the game of basketball and he's been able to pick and, and, and really study and, and see some stuff. And the one thing that I think will be advantageous for them is, you know, he was probably one of the greatest defensive teams of all time. And mm-hmm. a guy that understands the the value and importance of defense, um, I think, will be very attractive to Brad and whoever the GM is that that, that comes in and helps with the search as well. So I, I I I agree that all signs point to Chauncey. I'm basically just trying to be different <laughs> and just throw you know the Sam Cassell name out there, who was a very you know similar background to Chauncey Billups, and you know a guy that's you know cerebral. And, yeah, sees the game very well, um, and is a guy that can connect with younger players, uh, you know, as a former player. Um, and, but the Chauncey thing, it just feel, it feels like Chauncey Billups. But there's also Portland, too. Portland's also after Chauncey Billups. <laughs> I feel like Ch- Chauncey's going to get higher. Just a matter of where where does he go. And that's a nice place to be in if you're Chauncey Billups, I guess. 
And I know I, I mentioned Chauncey and, and Hall of Fame and whatnot. I know that hasn't happened yet, but, you know, a guy that's consistently in that conversation. I was looking to – I was checking out basketball reference to see if I could find the, you know, the the meter that measures Hall of Fame odds and all that good stuff. Oh, yeah, I love that. I don't see it handy. Um, so we've been at it for about an hour. We'll wrap up in a couple minutes, but obviously can't do that without, uh, again, truly celebrating Danny Ainge. And, and we don't need to go – point by point and lopsided trades or, or this contract or, or whatever. And, and overarching point, I don't think it's been ignored, but it's not really part of the regular conversation. I tweeted about it last night and I'm actually surprised by all the, you know, Ainge haters out there that, that I wasn't hit with all sorts of backlash. In fact, I don't think anyone responded in a negative way. Uh, most either agreed or just, you know, the, the like or retweet or whatever, but, Danny Ainge is going to be a Hall of Famer. I truly believe that. You know, from obviously, like you start back in college and and win the one award, and and you know everyone remembers his performance in the tournament that one year, and then you go back into his career and multiple time champ, twelve hundred plus games under his belt, playoffs included, and and you know significant role player on on some you know really damn good Celtics teams as we know successful head coach not for a long time but a 602 winning percentage or whatever it was with the Suns in that three and a half four year period commentator for a brief time might do it again wouldn't surprise anybody and then obviously running a marquee franchise maybe the marquee franchise in the entire NBA successfully for 18 years winning another title you know more playoff wins for that franchise in the last 14 15 years whatever it's been than any team in the entire NBA He's going to be a Hall of Famer, as obviously in that contributor, builder, whatever category. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, and it. I think it's just a matter of time. Do either of you disagree with that? I'm not sure I agree, um, just because I'm not sure. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not sure that his playing career could be combined with his executive career to get him in into the, the Hall category. I'm, I might. I'm maybe maybe you can. So maybe I'm wrong in that in that respect. So I mean, if that's the case, I think you probably would. I think he just barely crossed the threshold. I mean, he had the team was great from 2007 to 2021, basically, right? Where they you know they made the conference finals last year. So the team was very very successful over the, that period of time. It's probably enough time to get him in there, even though they only won one championship. You know they. They made a finals. They made several other conference finals. It's probably enough, I would say. Um, and of course, we'll always remember the 2019 was probably the best of all of yeah. them. And that team got cut right. short, right? Um, and, oh, and they also made in 2012, they had that great run against Miami also. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they, they had a, they probably did enough, I think, under him to, for him to just barely get in there. Yeah. I think he'll get in. Uh, they'll figure out some way. Um, you know, we'll, they'll, we'll, they'll come up with something, some designation to get him in the Hall of Fame. But I just feel like it is the Basketball Hall of Fame and it encompasses, you know, everything. And I think, you know, for a guy that's had a big part in every NBA trade basically for the past 20 years in terms of whether he was interested or not, like <laughs> yeah, his, impact, his impact, he should be just in the Hall of Fame just for the trades he almost made or like didn't quite get there with. Um, I, I think he'll get in. I think, um, you know, it's just impact on the game, and and you know what it's you know not to he's not the resume of just a player. I don't think is quite it, but if you combine everything together, I mean, Danny Ainge has been a part of basketball for the past forty years, basically. So um, hard to hard to argue with that because if you're if you're hanging around, right, it's probably because you've had success. It's not like uh, you know if he wouldn't be the, the Celtics GM for as long as he was if he sucked at it, right? He would he he was good at his job. He was one of the best GMs in the league. I mean, it was interesting to hear. You know, Brian Windhorst and, and Zach Lowe talk about, you know, Joe Dumars in a situation where it's like, hey, we all, you know, routinely dump on Joe Dumars for the two phones picture. But, like, you also have to give him credit for organizing, you know, a, a, a perennial, you know, contender in the early 2000s with the way that, t- that Pistons team was built. So, um, you know, Danny, you know, might be frustrating because he didn't trade for Jimmy Butler or Kawhi Leonard or Anthony Davis, all those. But Danny ran a pretty successful ship for a very long time. And Boston, with the exception of a handful of years, has been a, you know, either a middling contender or a team that's overachieved a little bit and gone pretty far in the playoffs or a flat out contender for an NBA title. So it is a pretty impressive resume as a, as a GM. 
I think he gets in at some point. Um, I mean, some guys have gotten in over the years that you're like, how did that guy like get in? I guess I think Danny's resume is, is good enough considering what has, has transpired the past couple of years to the hall. Now every class is like KG, Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant, right? Where you just right. said three absolute no brainer Hall of Famers going yeah, sometimes in. Sometimes Fat Lieber has to get into the hall, you know? Right. Well, and, and, and again, that's, that's the thing. Like would Danny Ainge make it as a player? No. Would he make it as an executive? No. As a coach? No, but you put it all together in that right. contributor category, which, which I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think just encapsulates your entire basketball career. Right. Yeah. I think, I think it's enough. Right. It, I, I mean, I say that still mind bogglingly perplexed that Tommy Heinsohn is not yet thrice in the hall of fame as a commentator, <laughs> but that being said, all these things have, have, have a way of, of ultimately evening out and and also it's 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 naismith it's the basketball hall of fame it's a museum and uh it, it's you know you see a, like there are question marks surrounding that hall of fame every year with somebody who gets in you know people like people not long ago like balked at the idea of chris bosh being a hall of famer i never did plenty of people did it's like you got to remember like there's the threshold is is a little bit uh is a little bit deeper in uh, in Springfield than it is maybe in uh, in Cooperstown or something like that. But anyway, we'll wrap it up and uh, and and call it a day because we are just, really we're just getting started with what's going to be a fascinating off season for a range of reasons. And uh, you know we look forward to step by step following it along the way. So Jared, thank you for being on with us. We appreciate it as always. Oh, thank you. It's my cue. <laughs> always great to be back here. All right. Good to yeah, see Evans here. His old stomping ground. Good to you, brother. I know. I'm just glad that Evans not all suited up for this one. Yeah. Casual Sunday. That's right. Just I'm like not even wearing pants right now. <laughs> boy. Perfect. Like I, I never said, do. The 411 episode. Bet Online, our sponsor, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% sign up bonus. Enjoy the rest of playoff basketball. Unfortunately, it doesn't involve the Celtics, but I guess on the bright side, gives them a head start on finding a head coach. We'll talk to you next week.